podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. to the five-year plan podcast it's well we were debating off air we're going to call it the fun size fyp pod keeping you entertained during this lockdown uh, because we've got a very special pod format today where we're going to go back and i'm going to play you some of our best ever player interviews some little snippets with the best bits before we do that i'm talking to two of my favorite people ever uh, as we discuss Please. An athletic article, which is very timely indeed, given today's date, the 8th of April. One of those people is Jesse Boyce. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, JD? I'm really good, mate. Really, really good. And also returning, it's Richard Foster. How are you? I'm very well, Jim, and I hope all our listeners are feeling good and feeling healthy. And how are you guys surviving the lockdown? Jesse, you've got a busy household. <laughs> how are you getting by? Uh, it's, it's a bit of a uh, bit of a sanity check uh, for all involved. Uh, it's like being on a boat. I decided it, it just <laughs> feels, feels like, well, <laughs> sadly not a cruise, more no. some sort of a set of drift without a sail. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just a bit of a challenge for all of us, I'm sure, in all different ways. Thankful very much to have some good weather and a little bit of a garden. Um, but yeah, it's uh, the, la- the lack of football definitely not helping. So, thankful for all the nostalgia trips that I've been experiencing on various podcasts, including yours, Jim. And we're about to go down another one today, Richard. How are you dealing with the lack of football at the moment? Well, yeah, I've sort of been dipping in and out. I, I, I found myself watching uh, half-hour highlights of our game against Liverpool at home this season, which suggests that I'm really missing football. Because I knew what was going to happen at the end, and I still watched it. God, we played well that day. We did, we really did, and we actually were so unlucky. Um, I'm all right because I generally, uh, when I write pieces for the Guardian, they're about other things apart from matches. So I don't actually need matches. I just go in and look at weird things like what happened in World War One and World War Two. So they're more historical. Um, and I'm getting a lot of Zoom. My diary is now full of Zooms. So I've got quizzes, I've got drinks, I've got games of Perudo. I've got so many different things going on that um, actually I think my life's fuller than it has ever been. 
weird. Yeah, I've weirdly become more <laughs> sociable, actually, since the lockdown. Yeah, I'm, I'm you doing... really try harder, don't you? Yeah, it's great. And we did a quiz for the patrons, actually, at the weekend, which um, oh. overran massively by about an hour and a half. Um, but it was a lot of fun, and I think we're going to try and do some more for the main pods and the patrons as well, because everyone seems to be... The, the quiz industry seems to be doing very well out of this pandemic. Yeah, well, I do one regularly uh, where I live in northwest London, and we turned it into a virtual one. And on last Friday, we had 111 teams on Zoom, which is ridiculous. And you Would know, there be space like, for one more for an FYP team, maybe? Yeah, let's bring it on. Yeah. yeah and do I'm that. doing a football, I'm trialling a football one tonight, so maybe we'll do an FYP special. That's, I think I think quizzing is the way forward. Um, but it is, seriously, the community has sort of come together and they say, all the people are saying, these are people we would normally see, you know, every other day. We can't see them, particularly for kids, because they can't see their mates. So they're actually seeing them on screen. It actually binds them together. It almost brings a tear to your eye. We don't need to see anyone in person anymore, even when this is no, all over. Exactly. We can Brilliant. just use Zoom. And <laughs> I don't say, need to brush my teeth. You know, <laughs> I haven't done that in about two weeks, so uh, <laughs> or shaved. Um, yeah. So, guys, in part one, we're going to discuss an article from The Athletic, and it's very timely indeed, um, and we'll come to it in a minute. And then in part two, I've chopped up some bits from classic player interviews uh, in the past, and they also, in a way, relate to today's article, because it is the eighth of April, and it's exactly, Richard, 30 years since Palace beat Liverpool in the FA Cup semi-final. And I know that you've got a piece uh, on The Guardian Online about it. And before I come to you, yeah. I want to read you a clip from Dom Articles. <laughs> Dom Articles. <laughs> Dom Articles. <He's laughs> I mean, <laughs> that should have been rap star, Dom mean, Articles. You mean Doc Antle? You've been watching Tiger King? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. I haven't yet. I've actually done about ten minutes of Tiger King, but I'm going <laughs> to set aside some time of it. Um, Dom Firefield, of course, uh, from yeah. the Athletic, has been doing a, a whole series. In fact, he and Matt have been doing series on great Palace goals, and one of them is Mark Bright's goal that sunny afternoon at Villa Park. Well, let's see what Palace can do about it now in the second half as they attack the whole end here at Villa Park. John Pemberton, a lovely run early on, and a chance for Barber and Venison, and it's a shot. And before I read you a clip from it, I need to remind you that The Athletic are a world-class team of writers covering every club, including the best coverage of Crystal Palace. They're a subscription-based website and app, completely ad-free, no ads, no non-pop-ups, just brilliant articles. Welcome to the new home of football writing. And if you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP, you can get a seven-day free trial and receive 50% off your yearly subscription. Now, they've done three goals this week. Hopkin, look at the curl one, Friedman at Stockport, and then Bright against Liverpool. And this article is called Palace's Greatest Goals. Bright shatters Liverpool's sheen of invincibility. And uh, Richard, there's a really great part later on in the article um, where he says, the look of shock on Dalglish's face, pandemonium all around, summed it up. My mother-in-law was watching the game back home and at halftime decided she'd do the vacuuming in the second half. It was so one-sided, said Gary O'Reilly, the centre-back whose yeah. own close-range finish, uh, close finish would put Palace ahead 20 minutes from the end. As it was, from that moment, she just stood there transfixed, leaning on the bloody vac. It was that kind of match. I mean, it was that kind of match, wasn't it? And it was that kind of goal as well. I think everyone from that moment would have been stood there transfixed on that game, wouldn't they? 
Yeah, I mean, all the oof, our goals were all pretty scrappy. I mean, Bright's finish was quite impressive, but there'd been a bit of pinball before that. There was a bit of pinball before O'Reilly's. There was obviously the grey pinball goal, and Pardew's wasn't exactly a thing of beauty, but still, by far and away, the greatest game I've ever been to, which is what I tried to reflect in, in my Guardian piece. And I, I distinctly remember, stupidly, I hosted a party at my flat the night before, and it was a 12 o'clock kickoff at Villa Park. It was very hot. I remember I drove for some unknown reason, and I felt so bad when I arrived at Villa Park. I just thought, and then Russ scored after 14 minutes. I thought, why have I bothered doing this? And then the next, you know, hour and a half as it unraveled for Liverpool, and it was, I, I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine going to a better match. I just can't see it. Well, we did, a, we did, when the lockdown happened, we did our first pod extra uh, with the patrons, uh, Jesse, was with me, Selzy and Rob, and we tried to work out the best Palace-Liverpool game ever, because it was when Palace would have been playing Liverpool in the Premier League. Yeah. And we actually decided early on, we're going to do the best Premier League game uh, of Palace-Liverpool in the Premier League era, because we decided that this game actually is the greatest game and nothing really comes close to it. And I think in a way, it's probably palace's greatest ever game when you think about the narrative going into it the nine nil beforehand the juxtaposition of the two teams you know how different they were the fact that we're out there bashing teams and scoring scrappy goals and liverpool are best team in europe and playing wonderful football it was just i'm gonna say it typical palace <laughs> i'd listened to that pause that was a good one and um, this is so much material when it comes to palace liverpool um, and I was kind of cheering on from the sidelines. I heard Selzy say that he, he was really into the wins rather than draws, so he couldn't quite go for Christian Ball because it was a, a draw. <laughs> uh, quite amusing. Um, but I'm with him because I was lucky enough to be at both of the last Liverpool, uh, two of the last three Liverpool wins at Anfield. So the one where we where Klopp's first time against us and we, we were his first loss as Liverpool manager. Balassi scored and Dan. I was in the New Balance box with Joe Ledley's dad, (laughs) and uh, just because I was working with New Balance at the time, and didn't know Joe Joe Ledley's dad was going to be there. He'd driven there from Cardiff um, to watch Joe. And Joe was on the bench. He didn't know if he was going to play or not, but he came on for the last ten fifteen. And I'd actually had in the in the New Balance box. uh, It's just like a little small hospitality suite. The the bookies come round. And Joe Ledley's dad put money on Joe Ledley to score the last goal or something. And I, I put um, not very much, two or three quid on Balassi to score first and Palace to win 2-1. Wow. <laughs> I did. I did. I got a picture of it somewhere. Wow. It came, it, so I took, took home about 150 quid and had been treated all day and sat with Joe Ledley's dad. So that was quite the day. <laughs> it's a good day out. Uh, but it, it gets better. I was at the last one that we won. And I was in, I did some work with Liverpool a few years ago. So I was in the new stand. It was its first season mm. when we beat them. Uh, was it 2-1 again? With Benteke scoring twice. I remember, one, yeah, I can't remember. 2-1? Oh. Yeah. Coutinho, Another victory, whatever it was. <laughs> There's just yeah. too many of them. Coutinho, yeah. Coutinho scored first, then Benteke yeah. scored two. Which is, a scouser said to me when he saw me, he said, that's the most goals Benteke's ever scored at Anfield. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, very much so. But before the game, they had like a raffle. Everyone had to predict the score, um, which we didn't know what the prize was. 
And my wife was with me. She bet on Palace to win 2-1. But everyone else in the hospitality was Liverpool fans. And we won 2-1. And Emre Chan had to come and give her his smash. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Which I hope she just put straight in the bin. Gave it, I, gave it, I, I don't do losers. I gave it to my brother-in-law, who's a Liverpool yeah, okay. fan. Okay. So, yeah, all that aside, let's go back to 1990. Um, I was probably 11 at the time. And so the, and I'm not from a huge football family. My dad's friends started taking me to Sellers, which is why I'm a Palace fan. So the, the, the sort of size of the occasion was a bit lost on me at the time. I didn't go to it. But I do remember at school, um, there was those, did you have these big long sausage balloons with Fly Virgin logos on them? Do you remember that? It was like... I think Virgin, who was... high school, but I wasn't at yeah, school. Yeah, everyone had these balloons. <laughs> there was all these... Someone, someone can please back me up on this on Twitter, I'm sure, but there was all these long balloons, um, <laughs> sort of probably, sort of pre-happy clapping days, sort of uh, bad, bad merch. But they were, they were definitely Virgin-sponsored, and everyone had them in the school playground. I was like, oh, this, this game must be quite a big deal. So um, that was the first I kind of remember of it. Um, I, but I did watch it on the telly. And uh, I, I do love what you just said about what Dom's written about Dalgleish's face in that when it go, flashes to him after the go- bright goal, he just got that, I've just got a parking ticket expression, <laughs> which, which Stephen Gerrard has, has carried on throughout his career. Um, but yeah, what, what an amazing, um, it was just an amazing occasion. We realised what Palace were on the brink of at that point. I think actually, Richard, I mean, Jesse's talking there and he mentioned a few more recent games. And I think the overriding, I guess, feeling maybe from the Liverpool side, actually, I think it's something that's been continued every time we have beaten them, is that they just weren't expecting it. They massively, massively underestimated us. And I think that's happened when we ruined Gerrard's last day and Christian Ball and the numerous other times we've beaten them. Yeah. I think they just underestimated Crystal Palace. And clearly on the day, they massively underestimated the the spirit and the fight that that team had in them. Well, it's actually because I interviewed Jeff Thomas for my piece, amongst others, and he said he distinctly remembers when they scored that first goal, there was no sense of enjoyment. They were just, you know, it was business as normal. We're off to Wembley again for another cup final type feel. There was, there was nothing in their demeanour which suggested that they were vaguely excited to be going 1-0 up in the cup semi-final. Whereas when we equalised, I, I literally cannot remember. We were, had half the whole end, and I'm sure, I don't know which goal it was, I'm sure I've seen it back, that some fella's got his feet stuck up in the air, and he's obviously being carried away upside down, and you couldn't care less. And it, it, it's the only game where I re-watch the goals and I, I get goosebumps. And there's that tingling feeling. You know exactly what's going to happen, but it just is that incredible sense of, oh, my God, we actually did this. And, again, just referring back to Copland Smith, who I interviewed for the piece, and they said after it, do you remember when Steve Copley ran away? As soon as the final whistle went, he just haired down the touchline into the dressing room, a bit like Pemberton had done a little while before, but going the other way. Uh, and apparently the, the two of them just sat in the bath, so they just got naked, sat in the bath, while all the players were, were around with the fans, and it was all going mad, because Copper said, leave it to the players, and then they sat in the bath, and apparently they just said to each other, said, well, we, we've done that, 
but we're not quite sure how we did it. <laughs> and uh, there was just that sense of all. Although you talk to the players like Thomas and Gray, you talk to Coppin Smith, there was a plan. They had a plan. They knew what they were going to do. It was all about man-to-man marking. Richard Shaw was specifically designed because he was the best man-to-man marker. Ian Wright apparently hated playing against him in training because he was so good at man-to-man marking. So he was the leader in terms of man-to-man marking. He was put on Beardsley. He was probably their most dangerous player. And then every single Palace player had someone to mark. So even Solarco, you know, they had to look after one individual and that was the plan. Keep it tight. See if we can... The actual plan was to keep it tight till 70 minutes. And then, of course, Pemberton makes that mad dash. Alan Smith turns to Steve Copper and says something which I couldn't repeat on a family show um, along the lines of, what is Pemberton doing running up the wing when we <laughs> told him to be tight? Uh, and within 16 seconds, we'd equalise. And it then went, you know... I, I, would, be, I would happily watch the whole of that game again many, many times. Well, I that's, love... Sorry. That's, that's what you were saying about um, the sort of scrappy pinball-type goals at Villa Park mm. that day. Um, I think that really did something. When you listen to the clip back on YouTube, you hear the crowd. Every, because of the ricocheting of the ball going here, there, and there, you get all these emotions and oohs and ahs yeah. from the crowd. That really, so that's the kind of benefit you get from those scrappy goals. It's just, it really dials up the atmosphere. You watch it back, that really just popped out when I watched it the other day. Yeah, and I, I love that Pemberton moment actually might even be my favourite moment of, of the whole game. I mean, Pardew's goal aside, because it was almost quite palace in that moment of just mm. not doing what he's told, just doing going outside the box and doing his own thing, which I think when we have our great moments is what Palace like as a club a little bit of just sort of refusing to be told no and refusing to be told what to do and just going for it and absolutely catching Liverpool, uh, you know, on the, on the break. And there's a lovely bit actually in Dom's article that says about Bright's goal, which obviously was from that Pembo run. It was scrappy. It was chaotic. It was anything but aesthetically pleasing, but it was Palace finally landing a punch on an apparently unbeaten, unbeatable champion to prompt a frenzy of delight from their contingent in the whole end. I mean, that could sum up Palace in general, couldn't it, Richard? Yeah, of course. I mean, we, we do uh, like being the underdog, don't we? And I think it's been referred to in many pods in the past that there's nothing better than going to a game expecting to get stuffed. You know, like, you know, Man City away a couple of seasons ago. There was absolutely no chance. And, you know, let's face it, they scored first. And you just thought, oh, OK. A bit like the Liverpool semi-final game. If we can keep it to two or three, we'll keep it respectable. It'll be fine. We'll still have our pride left. And then, you know, we equalise. And then, obviously, the Townsend wonder goal. And then, somehow, we're suddenly 3-1 up after Lucas scores. 3-1 up. Uh, you know, the only club who got a point off Man City at the Etihad that season, the only club to get a point. Everyone else lost. That isn't, you know, it's just weird. We shouldn't be doing that. And, and actually, JD, I do remember you talking in a pod. Uh, it was just, uh, it was the first pod you suggested, you know, the Andy Gray one. And it was just on the cusp of when we were playing Chelsea in that season when we'd lost seven on the trot and hadn't scored a goal. And we'd just been hammered 5-0 by Man City. 
and 4-0 by Man United in the two games before. Yeah. And the quote is, you said, well, we never get anything from Manchester. <laughs> Slightly disproved that theory. Well, at the time, I was right. At the time. You were right then. No, I'm not suggesting you were wrong, but it's just, yeah. look what we've done since. You know, we've beaten Man City. We drew with Man City. We beat Man United for the first time at Old Trafford many years. And, you know, it makes it so special. Everyone says, oh, mid-table, it's a bit boring. But our path to being mid-table is not your ordinary one. And it's, you know, it just emboldens you as a Palace fan to just go through, you know, we're often crap. We're often, you know, a bit sterile and everyone complains about the football we play. But you do have those golden moments. And nearly every season for the last, you know, 10 years has had a golden period. And, you know, obviously we've had great success because we've won a playoff final. We've got to an FA Cup final and we're doing pretty well in the league. So I think we just have, when we're looking back, you just have to remind yourself what a great period we're going through. Well, uh, yeah. And, and Jesse, that semi-final against Liverpool. And I remember actually, do you remember when Palace lost in the um, playoffs to Watford in about 2006? 2006? Yeah, we lost 3-0 at home. At didn't their we? home. And so you knew yeah. the tie was over. And I remember watching that in the pub. I don't know why I didn't go, but I watched it in the pub with my Sunday league team. And I was devastated. So I went home and watched the 1990 semi-final as a way of like coping with the misery of losing to Watford. And it was like my <laughs> comfort blanket. I think actually it's a really good game for anyone to go back and watch and just remind yourself what Palace can do in any sort of low Palace moments. But that was almost like the start. And I know obviously leading up to that, we've had some great results. You know, the team of the 80s and beating May United 5-0 and, yeah. and going back and back. But that was almost like the start of a, of a classic Palace underdog victory against an unbeatable team which as Richard says we have replicated quite a few times since oh they, Liverpool hate playing us I mean not obviously not so much lately and but well, I think we were the only team to score three at Anfield last year and there's you always get these little anomalies that Palace kind of can do that the other teams don't seem to be able to do so freely against Liverpool and quite we we revel in being their bogey team for sure it's it's a fixture we look forward to right it's, it's almost like Liverpool Newcastle <laughs> Uh, you know there's goals in it. You know it's going to have uh, it's going to be eventful. Um, and there was a few more that you guys discussed, wasn't there? Like the one where Dougie Friedman scored when Benitez came in a cup game and we beat them. Yeah, yeah, remember that was at that one. So there's it's just so much there. You could probably it's probably Richard. There's probably a book in Palace v Liverpool if you haven't written it already. Oh, Jesse, that's a great idea. Pity my publisher's a Brighton fan, but I'm sure I'll be able to get it through. <laughs> well, apparently we've won 12 of the subsequent 35 meetings. I mean, that's right, and we not hadn't, bad. we'd only beaten them once before. Is that yeah. right? That's what I read in the Athletic, the Dom piece. Once well, before. Well, it must be right. If Dom's writing it, it must well. be true. Um, but that's a pretty crazy record. And I think it's something we should all be proud of as well. And as Richard says, even when things seem boring and mundane, Palace will always pull a little result out for you. Uh, and that's why we love them. Um, I'm going to wrap up our athletic chat there. But of course, before I do that, I need to remind you to visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP to start a 30 day free trial and receive 50% off your yearly subscription. And I should probably add that uh, The Guardian are running a minute by minute uh, live coverage of Palace's game against Liverpool uh, as if it was happening from the 1990 final today. So keep an eye out for that. After the break, we've got the first of our classic FYP interviews.
It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome back to the Five Year Plan podcast. Oh, what are we calling it? Bite Size Pod. Bite Size Nostalgia. I need to think about this uh, title. Um, so we've got three classic Palace interviews and well, snippets of three classic interviews. And the first one relates very much to the game we've just been talking about because it's Mr. Andy Gray, who, of course, played in that semi-final. And Richard flicked on the ball from the corner that allowed Alan Pardew to score that iconic winner um, I'd actually forgotten we interviewed um, Andy when I was going back through these um, interviews and it's actually a very candid chat that we had with him um, and he was just such a player in his day wasn't he he was such an important cog in that Palace team well he was as I say I've interviewed him and he's quite scary but he's also quite funny he's got a lovely infectious laugh as I think comes across in the interview you had on the pod and it, it but he had that sense of spirit, which Coppel managed to build. Because, you know, he had been playing for Corinthian Casuals and Dulwich Hamlet. Uh, good old Alan Pardew was bought for seven grand, seven grand from Yeovil. Phil Barber, as you know, came from Aylesbury. You know, there were all these, and, you know, Ian Wright came from Greenwich. But there were all these misfits brought together. And, and Andy Gray, when you interview him, talks really interestingly about the chemistry. And how, you know, they got it together and how, because they wanted to prove themselves. And I think it also comes through when uh, actually connects to what Damien Delaney says, is that that promotion team in 2012, 2013 through the playoffs, they were similar in that they'd been generally cast off like he'd been at Ipswich and hadn't really done very much. And various other players weren't going anywhere. And suddenly they all came together, they gelled as a unit, and off they went. And Andy Gray, I, I distinctly remember seeing him hit an absolute thunderbolt. Um, I think it was against Man City, and he explained to me that the reason he hit that so hard, he was just really hacked off with everything, <laughs> and he just smashed it. And he was just one of those players, because obviously he, he, stu- he, he came to us, he then went to Villa, and then he came back to us in the you know, just before the 1990 uh, FA Cup semi-final. So he joined that season, rejoined. But he was one of those players you just knew, put him in the trenches and he, you know, he, you want him by your side. And the same I would go with Mina Yednak and also with Damon Delaney. These three are cut from the same cloth because they really, really do fight every inch of their core and they're not standing down. There's no, um, but the the thing I really liked about the, the interviews, all three of them, there's that sense of humour and there's that bond with the club that you can't make up, you know. And as a journalist, you go to, you know, I go to a lot of football. Nearly every player is no longer candid. They're media led. Yeah. They don't give you their view. They give you what they think they should be telling you. And th- these three interviews, are, I've got to say, if you've got time, which you probably haven't <laughs> in current circumstances, listen to them because they are absolutely fabulous. 
Well, I didn't even pay you to say that. That is English. Sorry, yeah, Jim. Sorry, I shouldn't. Yeah. Um, uh, well, we'll link to them. The we'll link to them out because I think obviously now's the time for people to listen to them uh, with nothing else to do. Um, and Jesse, I think Andy Gray is a sort of player, sort of midfielder. That's almost why we now Palace seem to love a midfielder. They love a midfielder with a connection to the club, a midfielder who gets in and does the dirty work, even if they're maybe not remembered in the same way as, say, Jeff Thomas was. who obviously played alongside Andy Gray in centre mid. But we love a, a Luca, a Macca, a Sean Derry, you know, those kind of players. And I, I wonder if that almost stems back to players like Andy Gray. I think that's a fabulously made point, Jim. I think if you look at people like Martin Kelly when they joined us, they were, we always have done well at plucking out those kind of rough diamonds or unfashionable players from other clubs who are just dying for some game time or an opportunity. Um, and now look at Martin Kelly. He's a bit of a cult hero for us. You know, they've always come and reveled in it. Even players like Matt Lawrence or Dean Austin. They've always, like, even Dean Moxie had his time pre-Premier League. All right, don't push it. Pre- <laughs> Disclaimer, pre-Premier League. Yeah. In the Championship, he was, he, was, he was very enthusiastic. But, um, yeah, I think you're right. I think we've always, even the, you know, he just reminds you of Eric Young and Pardew, who... He wasn't a great player, but you know, he made his mark forever and with, with that goal in, in his hot pants, scoring that <laughs> great uh, sealing that 4 3 win, uh, win for us. So, yeah, I think there is just we've just reveled in taking these um misfits and just making them our own. And uh, they you know, they feel at home at Palace, they've always they've they, it's always that's why they end up working there and they're as ambassadors and as, as coaching staff, you know, it's, they always get taken to, to their hearts. Pardew's Hot Pants would have been a much better name for a fanzine than Pardew's Pants, but unfortunately... <laughs> maybe, maybe you could call this rather than um, Thumb Size or whatever. You could Pardew's call Hot that. Pants podcast. They'll get, get banned from iTunes instantly. Sorry, if you look at the bright goal in that YouTube clip of the 4-3, just after, I think it's just after Dalgleish's uh, parking ticket face, they, you get a good shot. You get a good side profile of Pardew's Hot Pants then, which is when I made a note of it. So... Uh, if, you look, if anyone anyone wants to look at look up Pardew's hot pants, straight up, maybe that's what Dal Gleish is looking at. Yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd suggest probably not doing that. But uh, just one last thing about Andy Gray and that FA Cup semi final. When I interviewed him, because I'd heard a rumor that what he did after the game, because they obviously it was a twelve o'clock kickoff, so it finished or extra time, etc. So they actually got back to London, you know, early evening. Do you know what Andy Gray did on the evening of, you know, the evening of the semi-final greatest upset ever? He went no. to play snooker <laughs> in Acre Lane with his mates. Right. Now that's Palace. Yeah, that is Palace. <laughs> Actually, that's just reminded me, the first time we got him on the pod for that interview was about third or fourth time we booked him. And the time before he came on, he cancelled because he was, I think, playing snooker or something like that, playing snooker with Vinnie Samways. Which I think was well, also Jimmy White was part of the same. Jimmy White apparently hung around the, that same snooker hall as well. So he obviously likes dropping the odd name, Andy. Some of the stories on that snooker hall, I'm sure, will go yeah. down in legend. Um, let's yeah. hear from Andy Gray then uh, in his interview uh, on the FYP podcast. And here he is talking about that iconic semi final. Yeah, but do you know the funny thing about that? Um... That afternoon or that weekend, was it? They used to have the Grand National or something. Was it? Or the... I think so. Yeah. 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 yeah there was, was like racing. It was because at the time I was living in Putney, and um, 
I was saying to all my mates, I said, listen, just lump on Liverpool. I said, like, there's nowhere we're going to win. Nowhere, no. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, like, I mean, if I was playing today, I suppose you'd get called up for uh, the FA. But <laughs> I was saying, lump on them, lump on them. But then we met, uh, where did we meet? I think we met in a, in a Chinese, in Putney Eye Road. And then we went on to Villa, or I think we left on the Saturday. Or the Friday, I can't remember, but we were there for a couple of days and everyone was just so relaxed and I'm thinking, what? And like, in my head I'm thinking, basically if if we can keep them down to four, we'd be happy, do you know what I mean? It wasn't long after the the 9-0 defeat at Anfield, was it? Well, no, I mean, that was like... Well, kept them down to three, so they've done all right. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, no, it was, um, no, I mean, you're still scarred from that, aren't you? I mean, but that day... In fact, I still say this today that we played well that that day. Even though we lost nine nil, we played well. I mean, like you must be, I must be on drugs, but no, we did play well. And obviously, they came out thinking mm, we're going to give these guys a, a tanning, but we were strong. Do you know what I mean? We was a strong side. And when they scored in the first three minutes, was it three minutes? Yeah, or? yeah it was about, about three, four minutes, wasn't it? Yeah. I think that's the worst thing what could have happened to them. Because all of a sudden, we just... It was just all the pressure on us. It's just gone. Because mm-hmm. that's the goal. They've got the goal. So I think we'd done all right. We was playing all right. And then, like, we kept in it till uh, half-time. Well, Jeff Thomas missed that penalty, didn't he? He put that penalty over. Yeah, that was in the 9 0, but I'm talking in the semi. Oh, sorry, the semi. Oh, God. Yeah, and uh, basically, we went back in the dressing room and we just felt, yeah, this is not over, you know? And um, from the kickoff, um, I don't know if I was in the kickoff, but I, I was, I was, some, I said to Pemberton, run, run, run. He just kept running, 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 well, running. Like he was told not to, wasn't he, at half time? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. To like, <laughs> old not back. to go over yeah. the centre circle. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, he, he got that, and then we got that pinball goal. And then. Were the players relaxed that day because they were such underdogs? And the sort of pressure wasn't really on? No, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, we were. We were relaxed all the weekend. But to me, that is, if you look at that game, and I've never really, uh, seriously, I've never watched that game for 90 minutes. I've only really? seen, seriously, I've never, I, I, I don't really watch myself. If I'm down, I go on YouTube and see me scoring a couple of 40 yarders and go, mm, that's all right, I'm all right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't have to like get on the bottle, do you know what I mean? So that's my therapy. But um, I've never actually watched the build up. Like, you know, when you see, like, Semi-finals and all that. I've never, I've never actually um, done that. I think I might do that. Yeah. I might just try and get the video of it. And because uh, quite famous, they had Malcolm Allison doing the punditry, didn't they? That's and right, he was, yeah. I think, the only one on the panel who said, "No, I think Palace are going to yeah. win this." <laughs> and that know it all, Wilkins. Um, yeah. Like said, we had no chance, and da 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 da. Liverpool were majestic, and he called them majestic every five minutes. Yeah. Majestic, yeah. majestic. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was uh, that day. Was special. I mean, if I look back at my career, and even if I had one game, that would be the game that I would say I was proud to be a professional footballer playing for my local club. That would be the game. Forget the rest of them. That would be the game, yeah, for me. 
Do you think Palace are, be- are at their best when they are underdogs and when they are sort of backed against the wall and, and no one really gives them a chance? Yes, but the personnel's not there no more. It's completely changed. Not, I'm not talking about the system. I'm just talking about the personnel. Right, OK. Um, we've got a final couple of questions then. We've had loads of questions on this, including from 81MH, who says, Andy, tell us about the England tracksuits that supposedly ended up on Tooting Market. After you made your England debut. No, well, listen. I was absolutely devastated. Um, and I think... <laughs> it's funny because I was so bad. Well, I, I don't think I would take any tracksuits. So I didn't, I didn't perform. And I think, if anything, that kind of half... Like, finished me. Because I think I went to Tottenham from there. And I played at the club. And... I didn't get the support I think I needed. So, to that question, I know I'm like going off, but no, I didn't take any tracksuits. No, if an, if anything, I would have bought them tracksuits for them. <laughs> well, there you go. That's a myth busted. Yes. On the FYP yes, podcast. Yes, definitely. Um, okay, good stuff. And then finally, we had we had so many questions from people, including Martin Keane, Simon Daly, Desmond Wright, Dean Randall, all saying, "Can you bring your boots next weekend for the Chelsea game?" I'd love to. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Can we do a job again? <laughs> you, played, you played up front, didn't you? Yeah. Started up front. Started yeah. up front, yeah. And then, um, to be fair, he's probably still better than most of what's available on free transfers, <laughs> so why not? Yeah. <laughs> Beats bringing in Ricky Lambert. No, no, he's retired now. He heard the Palace were interested, and 15 minutes later, apparently, he didn't have well, his well, retirement. That's, that's the sad thing about it, that they're talking about these players that shouldn't even be mentioned at Palace and then a day later the guy's retired come on mm. someone should be fired for that Gilardino I mean we were linked with him he's decided on Serie B instead of us apparently you know that's a lower it. league isn't it yeah Serie yeah, yeah. yeah it's a Spezia or something a tiny little Italian team I think that levels the equivalent to our league too Alan used to give me advice and I never listened to him and uh, no, seriously, like I know I was joking that, but I said to him, sent him a text and said, like, you know, I should have listened to him. Uh, all the things, because I never helped him when he became manager. And uh, I should have, I should have done, but I just had allegiance with Steve, and I, I just saw him sitting in the in the chair, and that's like the South London stubbornness where. You know, wasn't he trying to bring you back then? Yeah, he did. Yeah, I, I, I remember you was very, came very close. No, didn't I it? was in the office. Yeah, I remember that. No, I came back. Um, um, tried to get me on loan, and I think the game I would have played against was Nottingham Forest. That's right. Yeah, the midweek yes. game. I we, think we beat them one nil. We'd just got Damian Matthew, I believe. I remember, I remember you being linked. I yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, I should have. To be quite honest with you, I should have come back. But um, I didn't, so the rest is history. But um, no, I should have done. That's regret? Do you regret that? Yeah, I do. Because to be quite honest with you, no matter what anyone says, and like all the clubs, I was lucky enough uh, to play for. Palace was always the club for me. I played my best football there. I was relaxed. This is like this area. Is, I just there. I was there. When we um, got promoted against Burnley, yeah, it's in a picture the, of you in the dressing yeah, room, in the dr- Gilbert, like, yeah, yeah, in the dressing room at eleven, and um, 
yeah, I was stupid, but like it's, as I said, it's the South London in me. Do you know what I mean? And like the stubbornness where people were not giving me the respect I thought I, I was due, but someone else wanted to give me the respect. Hence, going to the clubs I went to. Mm-hmm. Look, we've had loads of questions. I'm going to put a few more to you. Dave Kelly says, you played with some great Palace players in your time, but just how good was Phil Barber? Do you know what? Let me tell you something. You know, we, early on we were talking about confidence. Well, Phil Barber... You know what? I'm thinking... You, it's calling my head because I thought it was Eddie McGoldrick. No, Phil. Easy mistake to make. No, because let me just quickly get on to that. I'm thinking when you said Phil Barber, all of a sudden when we mentioned Eddie, I thought yeah, it was Eddie yeah. McGoldrick. And it just went back in my mind when Eddie was at the club, he was always a good player. Mm. But when he went to Arsenal, he, he kind of went on another level. Yeah. Do you know yeah, what I mean? That last yeah. season with us, I mean, he got about, I think, about 12 goals, didn't he, from the wing and played quite yeah, a few but, games at centre-half right, and sweeper. Right, but see, what you've got to remember, it's the makeup of what we had with all the players I, I had gone. So what I'm saying, when the, the kind of big characters went, these guys could take the mantle because they were taught properly. Do you understand? They had the right people around them. What I said, we was never, it was never personal. Do you know what I mean? So if you said to somebody, listen, you've got to do this, and then they're not really listening to you, but they are. Yeah. As soon as you go, they go, oh, I remember Andy Gray told me that. This is what you should do. And, and that's how a lot of them got a good career, a lot of these guys. With Phil Barber, though, do you think he was unfairly maligned? I think he was, because he was... If he was playing today, he would he would do well, because he could run all day, Phil. Yeah, mm. no, he always gave the effort. I mean, Cobb always called him Mr. And he, 110%. And he could score he? a goal. And, you know, maybe he wasn't up to up to the top flight. Maybe he was just below that level, but you couldn't fault him for trying. No. And at the end of the day, when he joined, we had no money. I mean, you and him were our strike force for two seasons, weren't you? Yeah. And you, you both got pretty decent goal tally. 11. I think I got yeah. 11. He got 10. He got 10. In, so the, in that season. You know, people criticise away, but at the end of the day, he played an important part in getting us to the level that we got to. Yeah, definitely. Another player from non-league as well. Aylesbury. Yeah, right, yeah. Aylesbury, yeah. yeah. So we've had quite a few questions, including this one from Steve Wallback, who says, who's the best player that you played with at Palace? I mean, there's quite a few candidates for that. Not Gabby Adine. Um, <laughs> no, not Gabby, uh, not Gabby Who's the best player I played with at Palace? I would say my combination with Jeff was... Because to be quite honest with you, you know what? Seriously, a lot, not a lot of fans would know it. Me and Jeff didn't really get on. But we respected each other. And I keep going back to that word respect. It was never personal. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, we would, I don't think... I think Friedman and Morrison had a similar relationship, didn't they? It's like, uh, you I don't know, know, I didn't chalk and cheese off the pitch, but on the pitch. Yeah, know, I mean... Totally different story. If, if, if I said to you, like, back in the day that... I spoke to Jeff in the canteen. I would say, I'd, I'd be a liar if I said I did. Do you know what I mean? Uh, we, and, like, when we trained, we'd always train on opposite sides. Do you know what I mean? And we'd be competitive, like, like mad. But there was a respect there. 
Mm-hmm. And it's funny, you know, we on that FA Cup run, we was in, uh, and this is where I go back to where you go away. We used to go away after um, every time we won, and if there was a league game, we would go away before the week before the next game. And I think it happened like two or three times. And then I think the third time we was in Tenerife. And um, basically, like, we was at a bar. Jeff's had a drink. I wasn't really a drinker. But, like, we had that kind of mutual chat. Mm-hmm. And it was like, come on, let's, like, bury whatever hatchet that we got. Do you know what I mean? And that's why I I go back to say, well... We're in this situation. There must be tension between him, him. Just get it out and go forward. Do you know what I mean? That's the way I see it. But Jeff, is a, to me, is my hero. What that guy's gone through. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm strong. He puts me in the shade, mate. Hmm. He puts me in the shade. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And I'm a warrior. But this guy... He's I'm a like, proper hero, isn't he? Oh, listen. Inspiration. Yeah. You can't say no more. That was Andy Gray there, um, who loves his snooker. Let's move on to the next interview, which is uh, a man, Jesse, that apparently recently has been called the Gator. Uh, which is not something that I remember any at all from his uh, time at Palace, but on social media, the club called him the Gator, uh, which is weird, actually, because I think alligators are in Florida and crocodiles are in Australia. So actually, in many ways, that's completely wrong. Uh, But anyway, that man, of course, is uh, Mile Jednak, uh, who we had on the podcast, and I've got a clip of him talking about uh, preparing for the FA Cup final in 2016. So kind of linked to what we're we're talking about. Um, Might be nice, actually, to get a follow-up with him. I'm just thinking, we never chatted to him after the FA Cup final. Although I'm sure that would have been very hard for Peter, for the players to talk about. It was quite a quite an emotional day. Um, but Jedi, again, as we were saying earlier, one of those players cut from the same cloth as, as your Andy Gray's. Um, and just an absolute palace hero. And I have to say, in person, an excellent beard as well. <laughs> um, yeah, he's he's... he's, he's Almost like the 2016's Andy Green. Absolutely loved Jednak. I mean, remember when he first came, he was he, the crowd got on his back because of his woeful passing. I don't know if you remember, if you remember that. His mm-hmm. first his first few games, he was always just giving it away cheaply, always passing backwards. And actually, sorry, just to interrupt, I actually wrote an article. I, I did the Guardian did a piece of um, speaking of Guardian did a piece of fans doing their reviews of the season halfway through. So I guess about November December. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did it for Palace on behalf of FYP, and they asked us to say who's been the biggest flop. <laughs> and I said Jedinak because Ooh. he had a, quite a slow start. Yeah. And I think by the end of that season, about four months later, he was our best player. He turned it around so quickly. And so my piece had dated incredibly quickly, and I got quite a lot of stick for it, um, which is probably warranted. Um, but you're right, his, his start at Palace, um, that transition coming over from Turkey sort of took him a while. Yeah, I think as soon as he started to, to grow his facial hair, things improved. And uh, no coincidence, he, he sort of stayed her suit ever since. He was he was great for us and a, a, a real bona fide leader. You know, you'd be really hard-pressed to find a better leader than Jedi. Um, 
And I think he, what he was great at was really, he was no nonsense with just trying to put the ball into the talent. He always just tried to win the ball. He was really great at interceptions. And always just to put it in front of Balassi or Zaha, just get them running onto the ball with defenders in a tiz spinning on their back, back heel, trying to keep up with them. Like he was so good at just go, taking it from midfield into straight into attack. Um, and I remember on the podcast, I remember the podcast at the time, he, I remember just, I haven't listened to it since, but I do remember how unfazed he seemed. He seemed so calm. And I think there was a few questions you posed to him around him being, you know, about the pressure and the build-up to the game. He just, he really sort of, it was real water for ducks back for him. He just really, and you know, maybe the reality was different. Maybe there was a lot of butterflies, but he would never let on that he was in any way kind of uh, under pressure or any qualms about preparing for games he was just such a calm head and you know that he had the respect of, of, of his of his teammates he was such a great leader for us and, and and probably not contentious at all to say he was just another one of those um kind of real characters that threatened Pardew and were, found their way out the back door like so many others like Murray and Spironi being out of the first team yeah, well, I think we can pinpoint his de- departure to um, quite a lot of issues we've had over the last couple of seasons and uh, certainly didn't depart in the way that I think Palace fans would have wanted. Yeah. But there's a point Jesse made there, Richard, actually, about that the Jednak kept the football simple. And actually, that's such a good way of describing what he did because he really did simplify the game. He was a leader. He kept it simple. Everyone knew what you'd get from him. The, the faults and and the good things. And actually, I guess when you're a player and a fan and a manager, you want players like that where you know exactly what you're going to get and uh, what, what you're going to get from them. And Jed, I yeah, was you're actually right. saying... You, you're absolutely right, because, you know, you've got the mercurial talents of a Balassi, who, as everyone says, he didn't know what he was about to do, let alone anyone else who was trying to mark him. And, and Wilf can be, you know, has, has got talents but can do weird things. But as you say... You knew exactly what Yednak was going to do. And I actually to Jess's point, you know, I'm a bit of a stat nerd, you know, doing my books like Premier League nuggets. nuggets. I looked up this, actually. Uh, and between August 2013 and August 2016, Yednak made 276 interceptions, which was 68 more than any other player in the Premier League. Wow. 68 more. I mean, it's not just ahead of everyone, it's miles ahead of everyone. It's me you know, ahead of everyone. That's in interceptions. And I, I bet you're glad you didn't read out your uh, piece on Melee when he was in front of you, because I think he probably would have turned on you. But he, <laughs> he just had that, as you, as you say, he exuded authority. And, and in that interview, he actually says, you know, because I think Kevin actually asked him, what, what makes a leader? It's difficult to understand what makes a leader. And he just said, it's the way I was brought up. You know, as a kid, I had elder siblings and he was clearly, he knew his place. He knew what he had to do. And I don't think he would ever be a shouter, but when he said something to you, I bet you listen. Mm. And he just has that air of authority and some people have got it and some people haven't. And yes, he wasn't the most talented footballer we've ever seen, but he did score a fantastic free kick against Liverpool. If you know, we, we do mention Liverpool a bit in here, but you know, that, that free kick in the three, one yeah. was one of the best free kicks ever hit in the rain that I can remember. And, you know, he scored that um, goal at West Hampton in the penalty, which yeah. secured our safety in the first season. And, and he was important in the 
promotion season. It was important in our first few years, and he led us to the cup final. And a very sad moment, you know, that was his last game for us. Because as we know, he didn't get on terribly well with the manager at the time. And he went to Villa. And Villa in the championship. And you just think, I think he's, you know, he's amongst the most important players we've had in the last decade. I totally agree. And I have to say, even if I had read that article out, I think he would have been uh, very magnanimous because he was a very nice guy. Um, And let's go into his interview now, a snippet from his interview with us before the 2016 Cup final, talking about preparing for that day out at Wembley. It's time to get excited. You have to be. Uh, You know, you've seen today, we had a huge media day. We got it out of the way today and... There was cameras lined up in every which room and, and whatnot, but it's it just goes to show what a big deal it is. Um, you know, touching on Kevin's point there regarding what's it like for someone to walk out at Wembley with and seeing a whole sea of red and blue. I mean, having had the privilege and the opportunity to do it twice, it's probably beyond words. I probably won't do it justice because. Um, both times on those occasions, we were the best supported team by far, and uh, we walked it, didn't we? Really? And you know, and then and then knowing that, knowing that going going there again on Saturday is uh, is you know it gives it gives you a lot of heart uh, going when into you, the game. Sorry to interrupt, but when you grew up as a kid, like we all did, did you watch the FA Cup final every year? Do you watch it and just think one day? Not. Not probably as religiously of what it is here. We did get it. It was I said it many times today. It was one of the one of the few games that they did get live, and the build-up was phenomenal. It was always big, um, you know. And the games, I remember a few of them, um, but. It was always, you know, we go, oh, all right, we get to stay up this weekend. It's the FA Cup. <laughs> you stay up past midnight and things like that. But um, always very prestigious. But just remembering what it was like and seeing, you know, not even so much the games as they were. It was more, you know, the, the fans, whole the whole thing around yeah, it, yeah. the walk up yeah. the stairs and, you know, lifting the trophy and seeing how much happiness it brought to, to people in the crowds and... You can't help it. I mean, I'm, you, you've been to Wembley a couple of times, but you've been to Wembley a couple of times. But it's like it's FA Cup final now. It's something special about it, isn't it? I mean, I mean, for, for us as fans, it's more than the semi-final or more than so the playoff final. This is something. Is it more than the, the playoff final? Was pretty special. It was actually. Yeah, it was pretty special. <laughs> no, but but this is FA Cup final, Steve. Yeah, I think with the, I think I think with from your point there, it's you know it's. We, it, I think that comes down to the history of the FA Cup. You know, it's uh, we all know how prestigious it is. Yeah. Um, you know, worldwide. You know, for one second, if you if you, if you ask me what's more important, the FA Cup, I'll still say the Championship playoff final because okay. that okay. for for me, you know, was a day that I'll never forget, and it was just incredible. Will it be replicated on and it, Saturday? And it changed the fortunes of Crystal Palace Football Club completely. <laughs> Whereas this is this is a yeah, okay. one game, I'll which would be brilliant. <laughs> no, no, no. But, but it's not, not any. It's not any less. It's not any less significant from that because as a, as a player and as a as a fan, you want to go into these competitions. You want to when you get there, you want to win. Course, these special course, days, yeah. you want to go and win. Of course, yeah. And that feeling, you know, if it does happen on Saturday, 
oh, it'll be we're all going to be on top of the world. Let's let's not kid ourselves. We're all going to be on top of the world, and and so so we should be. I will, I will buy you a beer. Because you know, we'll <laughs> I, I agree because it isn't quite as significant. I'm not nervous about this game at all. Before the championship playoff. And the semi-final, I was petrified because it doesn't have. It's already a bonus in a way. We're we're in the final of the greatest cup tournament in the world, but it hasn't got that. Our future doesn't depend on it in a way that the, way the, the championship, the yeah, championship yeah. playoff final did. So anything that happens is a, is a bonus. So I don't. It, I was terrified before the semi-final of this as well, but now we're in the final. It just feels. And fan, it, fans of our age, Kev, the, the, the nineteen ninety final that we actually lost yeah. ultimately is still one of the greatest days of our life, and we remember it. It was amazing. The Saturday, so, yeah. The, yeah well, well, we don't remember that at no. all but um, <laughs> but just imagine if we won because oh. because for me that was one of the great days and if if we win it it's just another level well it also it was one of the great FA Cup finals as well yeah it was yeah, it was a really great game. game of football you'd yeah. still rather win yeah, you know, one, one yeah, nil with yeah, a rubbish and, game wouldn't you but, but it was a good game does the FA Cup still have the kind of specialness for want of a real word um, to the fans and to players does it, does it feel Not like that's been lost over I don't, the last few years I think a lot of my friends if you talk to Arsenal Chelsea Man U Man City fans it probably doesn't because they get into the final or they get to Wembley on such a regular basis it probably has lost a bit of that but to everybody else of course it has I mean one of my best mates is a Villa fan he's still talking about the final last year even though they, they mucked it up of course I mean, to most of us it's, it's, it's an astonishing game to be involved in because it's the most famous game in the world the, you know, every single country will, will be watching television pictures of our club at, at Wembley mm. so of course and that's why that's why in a way as I say I'm less nervous the fact that we're there is is brilliant but we're not there to make up the numbers we've got every yeah, we've got a, a really good chance of winning the game but that's a, a good point about every club is the playoff final to us as Palace fans was just massive yeah. and as I say it changed the fortune of the club and it took us up to another level but it only really was of interest to us wasn't it you know it wasn't mm. I don't think the rest of the world was watching yeah. but 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 this game is uh, you know is, is everywhere Milo do you use you know they talk about visualisation do you use that sort of technique? Do you imagine lifting the FA Cup up, or do you kind of feel that that puts a little jinx on it? Do you try not to? Um, no, I never think about jinxing, but well, you go through your routines. I mean, I've been in situations very similar. It's hard to get too caught up about what's going to happen in the future. You like to make sure you're doing all the right things in the now, in the present, you know, in the next couple of days good training you know we start doing more on them and how we're going to nullify that and you can have a little dream there's nothing wrong with that um you know get you in the right frame of mind and you know at the end of the day it's going to be a these finals they always anyone can win on the day um and having had experience in in finals in the past and being on both sides of it um you know, I've learnt that you don't want to lose a game like this. Does your experience in does your experience in big, big international games stand you? Is there any comparison between this and a representing your country in front of? Well, I'll just paint a picture for you. So, this is going to be a huge game for for myself personally, the football club, you know, f- fans alike. So in last year in January when we won the Asian Cup that was at home that was in front of that was in Sydney my hometown I had about 80 people there that were family and friends so it's probably as 
big as like for myself as, as it as it came at that point in yeah. time um, but this is my home away from home and it's uh, again you know you're giving the opportunity and the privilege to to go and do something special for for a football club where you've experienced you know a lot of uh, a lot of great things and uh, to, to to be given the opportunity to try and uh, potentially add one more piece to that puzzle is, uh, yeah, it gets you really, really excited. How do you how do you keep those kind of emotions in check? Up leading up to the game, the day itself. Um, I think for me personally, it's just got to just stay focused as hard as it sounds and maybe as cliche as it sounds it's people do things they they might tell you other things but you know yeah you take all the atmosphere in absolutely you do that um, when you get out there and whatnot but you're going to have a game plan and you got to stay you got to try and stay cool as cool as possible um, and not get as mad as it sounds uh, you know I remember the semi quite well and I did hear the roar at the start of the game but after that apart from when we scored for me it was almost quiet and it was like well I'm in the zone here I've got to just try and block it out as you know there's comes a point in the game where it might be a little bit more difficult to block it out but you have to do your utmost and and you know, call on all your experience and, and understanding of these sort of situations to to use to use it in that in, in on the big stage, and uh, it's it's nice to know that you know I've 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 done that in in the past, and I've got teammates that have experienced it as well, which is also uh, is also very you know very nice. Well, got, if you need if you need to relax before from about twelve o'clock in the Green Man, <laughs> there's quite a few Palace fans in there. Just got an hour in there. Well, they relax though. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it's a good thing, isn't it, that we had the semi-final at Wembley because people go on about how it spoils the FA Cup yeah. having the semi-finals. But Man United have got a team of players who've obviously played more games. They probably all played at Wembley before, haven't they? Um, but 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 for us, it's probably it was a good um, rehearsal, if you like, to, to have played the game at Wembley in the full stadium. And, and had that, so it's not, you know. I don't think the Palace players are going to be rabbits in the headlights because well, yeah, well, our, record, our record at Wembley is very good as well, isn't it? Recently, I mean, we've, got a, we've got a core group in the team at the moment, including yourself, Melee, uh, Damien, and uh, Wilf, Yannick, who have you know, it's been third time at Wembley yeah. with Palace, won't it? Joel Wood, Joel Wood, yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. Although Yannick didn't play in the playoff final, no, he didn't, isn't that amazing? Yeah. He was on the bench, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. incredible, mate. Which is weird when you think about that now. How, so how he's come on from being a guy yeah. who wasn't good enough to. Hmm. To play. So just about every bit of coverage that you see written about the final mentions 1990. How much has that been sort of drummed into the play by Alan so far? Is it something that just goes unmentioned? Is it something that he likes to bring you back to all the time? Um, it's been mentioned. I don't think it will get mentioned. <laughs> so are, you, are you sick of it? No, 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 no. no. It's not, not, not that I'm sick of it. I think... Uh, yeah, look, we've we've definitely touched on it in the in the build up. Yeah. Um, but I think for, as of this week, I think it'll be the sole focus will be on us. Um, you know, the manager will probably use his experiences and, and and maybe share some of them. But yeah, he he's he said it 
quite sharpishly today that he wants the sole focus. It's you know it is. I know you guys remember it like it was yesterday, but it was um, you know it's 26 years on and. Both both clubs are in a different point in their time, and uh, are looking to both are looking to, particularly our side, are looking to create some history. Yeah, I mean, like, everyone talks about the the size of the pitch at Wembley, and it, and it looked in the semi final like we used the pitch really well. But does it is it is it noticeably any any bigger? Nah, it's probably looks bigger because there's so many more seats around than yeah. I used to. Yeah. But um, I think. Uh, it's probably on par with Selhurst, to be honest. That's it just, it's just yeah, yeah. I think if 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 anything, um, yeah, you probably may or may not like it, but Old Trafford's probably bigger than Wembley. Wow, well, okay. yeah, and sizeably bigger. So well, we I felt to, that way yeah, anyway. Well, old, <laughs> <laughs> old Trafford just looks bigger when it's empty because somebody's left a fake bomb in it. That's basically that's. Oh God! Yeah. When it's full. That's not, well, they've still got to play their last. They play their last game tomorrow. Tomorrow night. Yeah. Interesting to see what team. Yeah. Can I just touch you? What we normally in these pods we often talk about the previous game and what happened, but obviously you know you and Stevie here and the cup final coming up. But just touching on yesterday's game, which mm. I was there. Um, Blassie and Will Fossey weren't playing yesterday and um, they're a real, real strength for us you know, a real strength as you know and it's like bombing down those wings and using that width that we talk about Sellers and Wembley do you think that's going to be something that we're going to use to our advantage obviously that's something that, that we maybe missed a little bit yesterday and I don't, you know, I don't want to go too much about yesterday because it was whatever but I think that's something that I think you know no it's a fair point you make yeah. a fair point you're not going to just you know you guys have got a plan and you do what you do but yeah. it's yeah, touching on yesterday more than comfortable talking about it it's not it's obviously it's not the ideal result um, course, I didn't yeah. think the performance was that bad I, I think it flattered them I, I think thought it was fine I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought the scoreline flattered them but really you're right you're right you know when you've had, think, but, 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 when you've had two guys in such form as exactly. what they had and we, know, we all know say, what yeah. sort of threat they, that they've been exactly. it's a massive part of our game yeah. it's yeah. been a massive yeah. part of our game and our identity for the last almost for as long as I've been at this football club so you know to to say we're going to try and use that on Saturday of course we of course we are Time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Right, that was Mile Jedanak. Uh, what a man, what a beard. And uh, our final clip is from another player uh, from that era. It's, of course, uh, Damien Delaney. And as Richard said earlier, cut from the same cloth as Mile, cut from the same cloth as Andy Gray. Another no-nonsense player. And <laughs> when I play the interview in a minute, there's a lot of no-nonsense in there as well. He was um, an incredible guest on the podcast. Um, but yeah, Richard, just another player, another player with a story. And I was thinking this earlier, actually, when you guys were talking, we do seem to like a player that's got 
a narrative to their career that Crystal Palace can play a part in. Normally, battling against the odds and something to prove. And Damo massively was that player who had fallen out at Ipswich with Roy Keane, his hero, and was mm. about to give up football. And then two years later, or three years later, was you know marking Diego Costa out of more like five years later, marking Diego Costa out of the game at Stamford Bridge. An incredible story, and we as Palace fans absolutely love that. Yeah, and you know we all remember that game at Chelsea and that famous photograph of Costa basically shrinking as Damien turned round to him and gave him a bit of whatever. But it was interesting in the interview that uh, he said, you know. Costa, yeah, I'd forgotten a few of my Spanish swear words, but he said when you're playing, you know, third division football, you know, League Two, as we call it, uh, you come across some tough people. He said Costa wasn't anything like them. So he's he's hewn from Irish, you know, rock. He's he is a tough man, but he's got that lovely soft Irish burr as well to his voice, and it, it just sounds. It's almost more threatening because he speaks so softly and nicely. But you think behind that, there is a man who could absolutely put you up against a wall and your feet would be scrapping like they do in the cartoons. Uh, and I do remember that game against Reading when they, were all, they decided to wind Wilf up and Damien stepped in and just went, hang on a minute. And they went, oh, okay, sorry, shouldn't have done that. Oh, well, uh, again, a bit like Yednak, not a brilliant footballer. You know, we always remember when Dama got the ball, we knew where it was going. It's that long, big hoof, uh, the <laughs> diagonal, I think they call it, on yeah. uh, 442. But um, never one to, you know, he, he put every effort into it, he gave everything. And he, again, was a leader. You, you would follow Damien into stuff. And I, I distinctly remember that horrible, horrible game the 4-0 at home to Sunderland, and when he had a bit of a spat with the fan, and I just felt, you know, he, he it means as much to him as the other players. You know, at half-time, we were 4-0 down to possibly an even worse side than us. And, you know, all the players were sloping off, but Damo was fronting it up. Not saying players should do that, but it just summed up his character. He's going, I'm not very happy with this either. Don't have a go at me. Uh, and yeah, I, 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 the sight of him crying on the Wembley steps uh, at the playoff final is an abiding image for me. And he will always be in my heart, Big Damer. He'll always be in my heart as well. Will he always be in your heart, Jesse? Yeah, another special character. Again, another misfit. Um, yeah. Kind of Friedman credit to Friedman for kind of getting Damer off the rocks and into our side um and just he's, he was it was a, a real moment when he um finished his uh time with us because he'd been through that whole period of us being terrible us being quite good again in the championship us going up and somehow managing to stay with us for so many seasons it must have been what five seasons in the premier league with us yeah, yeah. when did he leave so he, in the end he went back to cork didn't he yeah yeah, I think that's about right. I think he had five years and that's when he left. Um, and one of the most quotable um, snippets from any FYP podcast when he asked you if you're on crack, Jim. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which we are going to play in a minute because um, I think everyone wants to hear it. Um, I, I just think he was, he was not having any, he wasn't really entertaining any kind of too, too many loaded questions, was he? 
No. Uh, I remember that. Again, haven't listened to it since, or maybe not for a long time, but I remember he was being pretty uh, stern with Rob, wasn't he? When, I think Rob asked him if if it was any different when he stood in as a captain, if, if, it was, if he prepared for games any differently, and he just shut Rob down with one word, no. Uh, that was me again. <laughs> uh, was it you? Oh, it wasn't. Um, but yeah. But yeah the Rob similar. one, Rob asked yeah. him, uh, so is there any reason why you wear 27 at Palace? Like, does, that, does that number got a meaning to you? And he went, well, it's what they gave me when I turned up. <laughs> yeah. He's so matter of fact. Um, I remember I, I drove, do you remember we went to Leeds and we lost, uh, the year we went up, we lost 2-1. It was like, it was like the first away game I've been to for ages and we were unbeaten for like 10 or 15 games and of course yeah. we lost. Yeah. Um, and I bumped into the players at the um, service station on the way back and I think we'd, they, Ramage had scored in the last minute or something and I think we just said to him, you know, good, nice one Ramage or something and Damon just looked really threatened that we were even bothering to bother them. <laughs> he was really so protective, like an Alsatian, like a guard dog, just protecting all the players. I always remember his, eye, his eyes popping out of his head that we dared, dared to speak to him. Um, but yeah, he's, he was, he's just been through the whole roller coaster. He's had a proper Palace roller coaster experience, Damo's career with us. So um, he would always be a hero for us. Damo, the Alsatian, is now <laughs> making me think Palace players were dogs. <laughs> What dogs would they be? And I feel like that could be a podcast theme for the next oh, few God, weeks. That could go on for months. We have got a lot of time to fill. Um, right, let's go into that interview with Damien Delaney uh, from back in 2015, I think it was, starting with and mostly encapsulating him mugging me off. Does leading the team out as captain affect how you view the game? Uh, no. Good, okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't, change, doesn't change anything in terms of no. the way you talk to players? Not for me, it doesn't. No? No, no. I mean, listen, we've always said this from day one, for any team to be successful, you can't have one leader. You'll need five or six, mm. you know. And um, if Mila's playing or I'm playing or Danzi wears it, you know, it doesn't matter. You need five or six that will complement each other quite well. So you just... See, I think Palace fans need to hear that as well, though, because it's you know there's that this kind of emphasis that one guy leads, but no, obviously Jesus that's not the case. No. One guy couldn't lead; it would be impossible. You know, you got to have five or six, and I think we're lucky that we've got five or six personalities that kind of, you know, you got punch who's really vociferous and moans and you know, but that's leading in a way, you know, and then you got Mele who's who's reasonably you know quiet and you know just goes about his business and leads how he does and then Danzi does what he does and, and, and obviously I do what I can do um, so you need to compliment you can't just have one leader who's either vociferous or leads by doing you need you have to have it you know so okay the next question is from Tony G Hi, Tony. Tony. Uh, he says Damien what's been your most enjoyable result at Palace most enjoyable result it's on your arm isn't it <laughs> Um, yeah, I've got a tattoo on my arm. No, it's not the most. That's not the best one, man. No, no. what have you got tattooed on your arm? Uh, this is a playoff date, really. Uh, I went to see. Um, I went to see uh, Eric Clapton the week of the playoff final, and um, I'm obviously a big Clapton fan. And uh, he's got a song called "Running on Faith," and I just thought to myself, if we won, if we won, I said I get that tattooed on me with the date underneath it. Nice. So I just got that um, nice. put on my arm. Uh, my most memorable result you'll all laugh at it's so stupid <laughs> but like um, Millwall away fourth last game of the season when we drew 0-0 nil, nil. Nil, nil. yeah really? yeah why? because this shit was about to hit the fan <laughs> <laughs> and it was like all of a sudden we'd gone from like 
second or third to fifth and then the, the vultures started circling and I just thought, okay, if, if if we drop over the playoffs, we're not getting back in. Yeah. You know, it was like one of them ones where it's like, if we don't, and it was a rearranged game, I think, or something like that. Yeah. And it was a horrible night and it was just an awful game. And with me and Gabs, Danny Gabs played centre-back and we were just like, look, Gabs, if we get a draw here, we'll go back to fourth or something. And it was just like, we'll give ourselves some breathe. And, and we finished that season with like four or five draws on the spin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of thinking five points will do it, and me and Gabs are going, look, four nil nils does it for us, man. You know, <laughs> just limp in the playoffs. We get a ten day rest. We'll reassess everything. Yeah. You know, and I just think that if Millwall had beat us, we probably would have dropped out of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And then I think once you're out, then the whole the balloon bursts and you never get back yeah. in. Yeah. And I just think me and Gabs were just looking into the whole game going, this is going to be disgusting. <laughs> As in, like, this is not going to be a pleasant night. It, the pitch was terrible. Everything was just horrific. And it was just like, you know what, man? Let's just get a nil-nil and go home. And me and Gabs just headed, kicked, smashed everything. And we just went right. And we finished nil-nil. And it kind of... If you if we lost one nil, it kind of like I said, it just rips the arse out of it. And it's kind of like, oh. whereas a nil the draw, people kind of go and go, well, it's all right, yeah. you know. It was a local derby as well, so if we'd yeah. lost our local rivals, the fans probably would have just like deflated quicker than anything. And and I think that was that that for me is always is, is the biggest result, just to get a nil nil. And then I think we played some on the Saturday and drew again, Barnes I think it was, and then we beat. Thing in the last game of the season, Peterborough. Peterborough. Yeah, you know, and I just think that nil-nil was just crucial, just to keep the whole thing together without falling apart. But we did go back to basics, didn't we? At that point, like by basics, I mean like that kind of defensive um, kind of. Yeah. Uh, listen, that was there was no tactics involved in any of that. <laughs> Honestly, there was nothing. It was just literally, we're not dropping out of the playoffs, and it was just sheer will more than anything else, you know. And when you got when we got into the playoffs, did that you said about like having ten days to kind of reorganise? Was that actually was it a, a decision, a conscious decision to kind of play that counter-attacking style? No, just it just it just gave everyone a breath, man. Because when you're in the in, in a running like and you're coming on the stretch, you know, there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of people talking, there's a lot of everything going on, and and I think once the season finished and we got there, it was kind of a case of everyone just went, okay, we're here. It doesn't matter how we got here. It, you know, it doesn't matter. We're here. Yeah. It's a new start, and that was kind of the attitude we we, we took really. Yeah. And then the Brighton home game, we were horrific, and someone nicked and nil nil in that. Mm. Like how we got, you know, Moza got injured, yeah. and you know, and I don't, I don't know how Palace fan, fans feel towards Aaron Wilbraham, but you know, honestly, man, if it wasn't for that guy. And I mean it, this club would be nowhere near where it is. And Palace fans can moan and say, well, he we missed all those chances in the playoff final yeah, and whatever. Oh, he worked so hard. And no, so hard. I mean, you, you understand, I don't yeah. know if people understand, but for a guy who didn't play all season, yeah. to come off the bench in the semi-final of a playoff, and that just is a testament to the, the level of professional that he was, that he kept himself in the condition that he was in, day in, day out, in the gym, worked hard, was a great leader. When you talk about leaders, Albie was unbelievable, honestly, real big presence and he came on and, and the guy just went yeah. and then all you know we were on our knees you know we're have gone we've had a terrible finish this season muzz has gone off and we're kind of on the pitch going oh here we go and i remember the first thing i'll be doing when he came on he just nailed the brighton player <laughs> <laughs> you know 
and we all just kind of went, oh, hang on. <laughs> Honestly, it was like, and that's the type of leadership we looked for. We loved him. Yeah, we had a nickname for him, Wilbrahimovic. Yeah, yeah. and we it was just him. like it's great seeing him play so well for Bristol City yeah. last season and yeah. getting the goals that he deserved. Genuinely, genuinely, one of the good guys, like one of the great. And I, I went on loan when I was 19 to Stockport when I was at Leicester, and I played rugby for three months. And then I became the whole I've known Albie my whole career. And he genuinely is one of the good guys. Like, not, I mean, Albie himself isn't the most talented guy in the world, but oh my God, I've never seen anyone at work him day in, day out, on point, every day. And yeah. I like think. Palace fans got a lot of time for him. Oh, uh, yeah, that's, I, that's. Where did you start off as a young, a really young I was young at player? Les, uh, Cork City in the League of Ireland until I was 19. And then I went to uh, Leicester City, who were in the Premier League at the time. So did you play for them? Yeah, I played eight or nine games in the Premier League. As as a centre back? Uh, as a, I played no central midfield player. What? Who was the manager then? Peter Taylor. Oh, Peter. Oh, oh. So he was your manager there and at Hull. Yeah. So when he went to Hull, then he took me from um, because Leicester uh, Harry Bassett took over as manager. Yeah. And um, Leicester was wasn't doing pretty good, or they got relegated from Premier that year. Yeah. And I was playing, so I went alone a lot that year. The, the second year, so the first year I went over, it was the remnant of the leftover of the Maroneal team. You know, that really good Leicester yeah, team. Yeah. You know, the Matty Ellis, Jerry Taggart, Frank Sinclair, Muzzy, yeah, yeah. Robbie Savage, Neil Lennon, uh, Emma Heskey, they were all there. And then once Martin left and took Lenny with him and took Emil with him, uh, Emil, Emil went to Liverpool, I think. Yeah. And then uh, Neil Lennon went to Celtic, and then it kind of just started to disintegrate a little bit. and then. I played that year from Christmas onwards I played 8 or 9 games in the Premier League I was only 19 at the time in um, midfield as, as in what? Cent- as a central midfield uh, defensive or uh, just running around smashing people <laughs> <laughs> pretty much man that's all I had <laughs> feels all I still have 15 years later <laughs> yeah um, so you weren't quite young and goodbye then Jesus no I was like oh, I was like the, the the old Leicester players used to call me Chopper. That was my that was <laughs> you know, yeah. I was quite yeah. You know, just sheer physical. I just, I don't know. I was just run around really, and I think that just that like, got me to the point where it gave me a career, and then I just kind of learned the rest <laughs> or learning the rest. Okay. Well, speaking of your career, we got a question from Chris Emmanuel. Hi, Chris. He says, "Have you got any intention into going to management?" Um. No. But you never say never. Open but to no. the future, I guess. No. no. Not for me. At the moment, no. Oh, it's not for me. We've got another question from Will Donnelly. Hi, Will. He says, why do you wear number 27? Has it got a meaning? Oh, that's a good question. Honestly? Yeah. It was handed to me the day the Sheffield <laughs> Wednesday game. Really? That's how little, like, Brian the old kit man. That's it. You've never asked to change it, or like it's not really mattered to you. Is that just? It's never been mentioned. If I'm being honest with you. Really? Yeah. It was just. A, I don't know. I, I didn't even know what number he was getting until I came in the changing room before the Chevrolet Wednesday game, <laughs> and it was. And yet, look at what that number twenty-seven is. is, is what you've done in that number twenty-seven show. Yeah. I, not something I really care about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like that's a number, you know. Yeah. It's like it's not. I'm not a superstitious person, so. Yeah, fair enough. You know. Okay, uh, Will Laws. Hello. Hello. Says, um, Damien, who's the most underrated striker in the Premier League? But I'm going to open that to maybe the most underrated striker you've come up against. I, I really, really, really like the boy at Southampton, um, Saido Main, Mane. Or, Mane, yeah, yeah. Is that his name, Mane? Yeah, yeah. yeah he's a good player. Yeah. Um, like, very good. Handful. 
fun. He's one you don't want to play against. Yeah. He's just relentless. You know, he just just relentless and you're just looking going mate just stop please just slow down <laughs> you know mm. so he's he's a handful yeah a real handful got Premier League's fastest ever hatchery yeah there you go yeah. Gailey I think Gailey's Dwight Gale we have here as well I really rate him I think he's a real good player man really yeah. really good player he's similar you know and he can finish off both feet and he's a good, real good player man. he's, he's probably, instinct, he? yeah he's probably the biggest conversation point on the podcast when you're not here is Dwight Gale and why he doesn't start more often or how to get the best out of him because he's, he's clearly a really really good player that doesn't get as many just, yeah, he seems like one of those sort of old fashioned players that would benefit from playing with a big centre forward but no one plays that old fashioned four four two anymore. But we get asked that question every week: is why, is, you know, why didn't Gail start? So that's yeah. difficult because I mean, of course, to, of course, to get the best yeah. out of Gail, you got to play two up top and play two up top. You're losing the midfield yeah, player, yeah, no, and then you're not going to get any service to him because you're going to lose the midfield battle. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's just a dilemma. But, but he scores, and he's a good kid as well. He's yeah. a real good kid. But he's, he's more often not he scores when he comes on. But mm. the thing that also frustrates me is when he does come on late. And he maybe only gets one chance, and he hasn't got to the pace of the game. Then he misses it. So then the player, the people that don't rate him, plays into their hands. You guys read way too much into this. No, some. Well, we haven't got anything better. Than yeah, this. I think that, yeah, yeah, I think that's kind of what it is. <laughs> you know? We don't. We don't. It's just. It's, yeah, it's a once a week opportunity to ask to, to get stuck in. It's just what we said. It's the same conversation we have in the pub, basically, without the knobs. It's, yeah. It is. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, Damien, we've had a lot of questions actually about um, Peter Ramage because <laughs> the uh, combination that centre back for a while, mm. and people just asking, "What?" Well, someone's put, "Did Ramage do the damage?" Don't know what that means, <laughs> but like, someone put, "Are you still in contact?" Yeah, because you guys seem like you had a real sort yeah. of Ram is in India right now, yeah, playing for Caroline Knights. Yeah. And guess who the manager of Caroline Knights is? Peter Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, if I can pull out a cliche, as I like to do on this pod often, is it is it a must-win game, or is that is that not not? No, how do we, this, how do we this, approach this one? At this part of the season, no. Don't Must win. Come on, man. You and like it's in September. It's yeah. like. So how, so how, do, how does how does Palace approach this? The same way we approach every game. With the same intensity, the same desire, the same game plan, the same everything, we'll do it, don't worry, and hopefully it'll work on the day. And that's it, man. Well, that's the part. Yeah, <laughs> I must win. Jesus, you people on crack. <laughs> <laughs> not, not this week. Not this week. Well, there you go. That was Damien Delaney, the end of our snippets from uh, Palace interviews with FIP on the Pardews Hot Pants podcast. Uh, which I'm with until someone tells me. I, I, I uh, wish I hadn't cheered that, though. Oh, I think it's great. Um, guys, thank you so much for joining me uh, uh, on this pod. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, Richard. Um, enjoy, enjoy the lockdown. Enjoy trying to find, you know, bits of football, but also not. Yeah, no, I, I, I am gonna, I am missing those Saturday afternoons, but you know, let's look at it as an extended summer holiday. Let's have everyone keeps safe and well, and then you know, whenever we return, we'll look forward to it and enjoy ourselves as much. 
Absolutely. And Jesse, stay sane, mate. I'm trying. I'm trying, Jim. Thanks. Thanks for getting me the uh, best piece of peace I've had all all last few weeks in the last hour. It was great. Lovely stuff. And uh, maybe you guys will join me again for another Pardews Hot Pants podcast. <laughs> we'll be there for series two. Look, look forward to the merch. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about Just that. Not, not Hot Pants. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening as well and your continued support. We'll see you again very soon. Take care, stay safe, wash your hands, and we'll see you again soon. time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Podcast Network.